Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. Oh, folks, it is the same evening as the last two episodes, and we're all just sitting here holding our breath collectively. So I'm going to have a sip of that reading wine that I've been working on. Mm. I mean, honestly, might as well finish the glass, right? Oh, yeah, that was a good call. And mm. <clears throat> Cat was actually a little early on getting fed. He needs to wait a little bit. They have a schedule, and he's not adjusting well with time change, but we'll get there. Also, I'd just like to say that I love in the last episode the fact that Jonathan is such a, like, dweeb. <laughs> that he's like... Oh, first thing I need to do is tell my boss I'm sorry I'm late to work, but I finished my last shift, I promise. Like, man, come off it. I, although, I don't know, like, I love my day job, too, frankly, and I've put in a lot of extra hours over the years, and and I'm always a little anxious about making sure that my boss knows that I've tried my best, etc. And I know a lot of people who actually love their jobs and feel the same way, and you know, I don't know. The part of me that was a waiter for a while, though, does not understand that at all and thinks that that is madness. Like, candidate for Dr. Seward's House of Horrors madness. Oh, man. I know we're supposed to think that Dr. Seward is, you know, a figure of modern science, etc. And I love this book. So when I say this, it's not a criticism of it, really. Uh, but, oh, God, that sounds like a horrible place. Jeez. Oh, by the standards of today, he is just a monster. Anyway, let's get back to it. Chapter 9. Letter, Mina Harker to Lucy Wistenra. Budapest, 24 August. My dearest Lucy, I know you'll be anxious to hear all that has happened since we parted at the railway station at Whitby. Well, my dear, I got to Hull all right, and caught the boat to Hamburg, and then the train on here. I feel that I can hardly recall anything of the journey, except that I knew I was coming to Jonathan, and that as I should have to do some nursing, I had better get all the sleep I could. I found my dear one, oh, so thin and pale and weak-looking. All the resolution has gone out of his dear eyes, and that quiet dignity which I told you was in his face has vanished. He is only a wreck of himself and he does not remember anything that has happened to him for a long time past. At least, he wants me to believe so, and I shall never ask. He has had some terrible shock, 
and I fear it might tax his poor brain if he were to try to recall it. Sister Agatha, who is a good creature and a born nurse, tells me that he raved of dreadful things whilst he was off his head. I wanted her to tell me what they were, but she would only cross herself and say she would never tell, that the ravings of the sick were the secrets of God, and that if a nurse through her vocation should hear them, she should respect her trust. She is a sweet, good soul. And the next day, when she saw I was troubled, she opened up the subject again. And after saying that she could never mention what my poor dear raved about, added, I can tell you this much, my dear, that it was not about anything which he has done wrong himself, and you, as his wife-to-be, have no cause to be concerned. He has not forgotten you, or what he owes to you. This fear was of great and terrible things, which no mortal can treat of. I do believe the dear soul thought I might be jealous, lest my poor dear should have fallen in love with any other girl. The idea of my being jealous about Jonathan. And yet, my dear, let me whisper, I felt a thrill of joy through me when I knew that no other woman was a cause of trouble. I am now sitting by his bedside, where I can see his face while he sleeps. He is waking. When he woke, he asked me for his coat, as he wanted to get something from the pocket. I asked Sister Agatha, and she brought all his things. I saw that amongst them was his notebook, and he was going to ask him to let me look at it, for I knew then that I might find some clue to his trouble. But I suppose he must have seen my wish in my eyes, for he sent me over to the window, saying he wanted to be quite alone for a moment. Then he called me back, and when I came, he had his hand over the notebook, and he said to me very solemnly, Wilhelmina. I knew then that he was in deadly earnest, for he has never called me by that name since he asked me to marry him. You know, dear, my ideas of the trust between husband and wife. There should be no secret, no concealment. I have had a great shock, and when I try to think of what it is, I feel my head spin round. And I do not know if it was all real or the dreaming of a madman. You know, I have had brain fever, and that is to be mad. The secret is here, and I do not want to know it. I want to take up my life here with our marriage. For, my dear, we had decided to be married as soon as the formalities are complete. Are you willing, Wilhelmina, to share my ignorance? Here is the book. Take it and keep it. Read it, if you will, but never let me know. Unless, indeed, some solemn duty should come upon me to go back to the bitter hours, asleep or awake, sane or mad, recorded here. He fell back, exhausted, and I put the book under his pillow and kissed him. I have asked Sister Agatha to beg the superior to let her wedding be this afternoon, and am waiting her reply. She has come and told me that the chaplain of the English Mission Church has been sent for. We are to be married in an hour, or as soon after as Jonathan awakes. Lucy, the time has come and gone. I feel very solemn, but very, very happy. Jonathan woke a little after the hour, and all was ready, and he sat up in bed, propped up with pillows, he answered his I will firmly and strongly. I could hardly speak. My heart was so full that even those words seemed to choke me. The dear sisters were so kind. Please, God, I shall never, never forget them, nor the grave and sweet responsibilities I have taken upon me. I must tell you of my wedding present. When the chaplain and the sisters had left me alone with my husband, oh, Lucy, it is the first time I have written the words my husband, left me alone with my husband, I took the book from under his pillow and wrapped it up in white paper and tied it with a little bit of pale blue ribbon which was round my neck and sealed it over the knot with sealing wax. And for my seal I used my wedding ring. 
Then I kissed it and showed it to my husband, and told him that I would keep it so, and that it would be an outward and visible sign for us all our lives that we trusted each other, that I would never open it unless it were for his own dear sake, or for the sake of some stern duty. Then he took my hand in his, and oh, Lucy was the first time he took his wife's hand, and said that it was the dearest thing in all the wide world, and that he would go through all the past again to win it if need be. The poor dear meant to have said a part of the past, but he cannot think of time yet, and I shall not wonder if at first he mixes up not only the month, but the year. Well, my dear, what could I say? I could only tell him that I was the happiest woman in all the wide world, and that I had nothing to give him except myself, my life, and my trust, and that with these went my love and duty for all the days of my life. And my dear, when he kissed me and drew me to him with his poor weak hands, it was like a very solemn pledge between us. Lucy, dear, do you know why I tell you all this? It is not only because it is all sweet to me, but because you have been and are very dear to me. It was my privilege to be your friend and guide when you came from the schoolroom to prepare for the world of life. I want you to see now and with the eyes of a very happy wife whither duty has led me, so that in your own married life you too may be all happy as I am. My dear, please, almighty God, your life may be all it promises. A long day of sunshine with no harsh wind, no forgetting duty, no distrust. I must not wish you no pain, for that can never be. But I do hope you will be always as happy as I am now. Goodbye, my dear. I shall post this at once and perhaps write you very soon again. I must stop for Jonathan's waking. I must attend my husband. Your ever-loving, Mina Harker. Letter, Lucy Westenra to Mina Harker. Whitby, 30 August. My dearest Mina, oceans of love and millions of kisses, and may you soon be in your own home with your husband. I wish you could be coming home soon enough to stay with us here. The strong air would soon restore Jonathan. It has quite restored me. I have an appetite like a cormorant. I'm full of life and sleep well. You'll be glad to know that I have quite given up walking in my sleep. I think I have not stirred out of my bed for a week. That is when I once got it in, got into it at night. Arthur says I am getting fat. By the way, I forget to tell you that Arthur is here. We have such walks and drives and rides and rowing and tennis and fishing together. And I love him more than ever. He tells me that he loves me more, but I doubt that. For at first he told me that he couldn't love me more than he did then. But this is nonsense. There he is, calling to me. So no more, just a present from your loving Lucy. P.S. Mother sends her love. She seems better, poor dear. P.P.S. We're going to be married on 28th September. Dr. Seward's Diary. 20 August. The case of Renfield grows even more interesting. He is now so far quieted that there are spells of cessation from his passion. For the first week after his attack, he was perpetually violent. Then one night, just as the moon rose, moon rose, he grew quiet and kept murmuring to himself, Now I can wait. Now I can wait. The attendant came to tell me, so I ran down at once to have a look at him. He was still in the straight waistcoat and in the padded room, but the suffused look had gone from his face, and his eyes had something of their old pleading, I might almost say cringing, softness. I was satisfied with his present condition, and directed him to be relieved. The attendants hesitated, but finally carried out my wishes without protest. 
It was a strange thing that the patient had humor enough to see their distrust, for coming close to me, he said in a whisper all the while looking furtively at them, They think I could hurt you. Fancy me hurting you. The fools. It was soothing somehow to the feelings to find myself dissociated even in the mind of this poor madman from the others, but all the same I do not follow his thought. I might take it that I have nothing in common with him, so that we are, as it were, to stand together? Or has he to gain from me some good so stupendous that my well-being is needful to him? I must find out later on. Tonight he will not speak. Even the offer of a kitten, or even a full-grown cat, will not tempt him. He will only say, I don't take any stocking cats. I have more to think of now, and I can wait. I can wait. After a while I left him, the attendant tells me that he was quiet until just before dawn, and that then he began to get uneasy, and at length violent, until at last he fell into a paroxysm which exhausted him, so that he swooned into a sort of coma. Three nights has the same thing happened, violent all day, then quiet from moonrise to sunrise. I wish I could get some clue to the cause. It would almost seem as if there were some influence which came and went, Happy thought. We shall tonight play sane wits against mad ones. He escaped before without our help. Tonight he shall escape with it. We shall give him a chance, and have the men ready to follow in case they are required. 23 August. The unexpected always happens. How well does Rayleigh knew life? Our bird, when he found the cage open, would not fly, so all our subtle arrangements were for naught. At any rate, we have proved one thing, that the spells of quietness last a reasonable time. We shall in future be able to ease his bonds for a few hours each day. I have given orders to the night attendant merely to shut him in the padded room, when once he is quiet, and until an hour before sunrise. The poor soul's body will enjoy the relief even if his mind cannot appreciate it. Hark! The unexpected again! I'm called. The patient has once more escaped. Later. Another night adventure. Renfield artfully waited until the attendant was entering the room to inspect. Then he dashed out past him and flew down the passage. I sent word for the attendants to follow. Again he went into the grounds of the deserted house, and we found him in the same place, pressed against the old chapel door. When he saw me he became furious, and had not the attendant seized him in time, he would have tried to kill me. As we were holding him a strange thing happened. He suddenly redoubled his efforts, and then he suddenly grew calm. I looked round instinctively, but could see nothing. Then I caught the patient's eye and followed it, but could trace nothing as it looked into the moonlit sky except a big bat, which was flapping its silent and ghostly way to the west. Bats usually wheel and flit about, but this one seemed to go straight on as if it knew where it was bound for, or had some intention of its own. The patient grew calmer every instant, and presently said, "'You needn't tie me. I shall go quietly.' Without trouble, we came back to the house. I feel there is something ominous in his calm, and shall not forget this night. That is an excellent place to stop. Ooh, headed into some of the good stuff now. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License.
The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons attribution license at ccmixter.org. <laughs> <laughs>